That's not true. I'm, just, I'm not getting lazy. That's just not true. And I'm not going to teach on the wedding occasion. I know we've taught on it a couple times here. That's because I love it so much. That's where our name comes from. But that's not what today is about to, to, to dive into this. <clears throat> Instead, what I want to do is I want to talk about time, like I said before the service started. It's the beginning of a new year. When time, especially the passing of time, is something very much on our minds. We're saying goodbye to yet another year filled with countless memories. Some of the good kind and some of the not so good. We're looking forward to this come of coming year. Some of us are looking forward to it with great expectation. Some of us with trepidation. Some maybe with just curiosity as to what the year will bring. But for all of us, these turning of the years tend to get us thinking about time. And rightfully so. The threshold between the past and the future is always right for taking stock of our lives. For opening ourselves to learning from the past so that we might move differently into the future. These are the moments that we can, maybe we should, maybe we should pause and reflect and reach out for something new. You know how we talk about welcoming in the new year? We talk about welcoming in the new year. And I like that, I think, because God is always making us into new creations, Scripture says. So perhaps is at a new year is time to be conscious of that and to welcome what God is doing in our lives, even if maybe we don't recognize it all the time. But to be more cognizant that God is working. I like the way Bruce Epperly writes it. Bruce Epperly says, Plato once described time as the moving image of eternity. And surely New Year's points to holiness amid change, to the dynamic nature of reality in which we can't step in the same waters once, much less twice, in which life, like God's mercies, is new every morning. Like that. That's such a beautiful quote about time and the passage of time. So, please join me. I want to do a three-week mini-series on this, and I hope you'll be here for it. And let's try to prepare ourselves to welcome this new thing God is doing in us, this, this new year of our lives. So, the very way John introduces this story, come on, the battery must be. It, it, did it go? Good. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana. This brings us face to face with time. Immediately face to face with time. John's gospel is incredible. I know that I have said this repeatedly through the years, but I believe this is one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. John. Uh, it's, it's Theologically speaking, I believe the book contains the entire Bible at some level. And it's things like this that make me believe this about the book of John. John is preparing his readers for the spectacular. Right? If you know anything at all about the Bible or Christianity, you can't read this verse and not pause on the third day. On the third day. What happened on the third day? Resurrection. Right? So immediately this has to come to mind. Both the apostolic and the Nicene creeds mention on the third day. Jesus himself often used these words. Peter and Paul used these words. God raised him on the third day. And even the prophet Hosea used them in the ancient heroine Esther took her stand on the third day. On the third day. So St. John writes on the third day. There was a wedding at Cana. 
spectacular. I love John. John. Oh, John. Anyway, time is truly the moving image of eternity. So what is interesting is that John uses a term which is both immediate, the third day, the third 24-hour period since Jesus was baptized, and also a term which is transcendent, the moment beyond our time when the world was redeemed, when the old became new, when death became life, all to set up this story. You see, the Greek has two terms which speak to this difference in meaning. This is when I wish English, as challenging it is, was just a little better that we could break these nuances down. Which is one of the reasons when I was talking earlier about reading through the Bible, to just read it and don't try to, to understand it. Because sometimes in English translations it's hard to catch these nuances. But the Holy Spirit in us knows these nuances and will eventually help us get there. But anyway, so, chronos and kairos. Chronos from which we get chronic. Right? So chronic means lasting a long time. We also get chronicle. Chronicle, an account of events through a sequence of time, and we get chronology. Chronology, the itemized studied measurement of time. This, this chronos is the immediate idea of time. It's what we use to plan our days. It is our calendars, our clocks. So it's what we would call our time. Chronos is our time. Kairos is different. Kairos is the sense of eternity. The always now. Because you can't really say it's long or it's immeasurable. It's not. You, can, you, can't, you can't talk about eternity like that because eternity is infinite. It always is. It just is. It's, it's, it's not a long time. There's no time. It, it just is. And like always happens with Dave and I, as soon as he sent me over the song list yesterday, and of course he included Grace Like Rain in it because that one verse captures the sense of eternity perfectly. When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as a sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Kairos is the icon of eternal life. It is a good way to describe Kairos would be God's time. Our time and God's time. <clears throat> okay? So, in both of these ideas we find here in the wedding at Cana, which is why I wanted to draw on the wedding at Cana today to talk about time today and next week. And then the third week, we're going to do something totally different with time. Anyway, so the wine runs out, and Jesus' mother, Mary, gets involved. Mothers are like that. They get involved and stuff. And so she says, hey, they ran out of wine. Do something. And Jesus, being a good son, says, uh, this is my problem exactly. How? What? And by the way, Mom, I'm a guest like you, so why don't we mind our own business? It's a classic mother-son scene. And so then Mary probably comes over and whispers in his ear very quietly, but I'm sure very sternly, and says, well, here's the thing. You brought the five drunk fishermen. They drank it all. Do something about it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. But he makes this very interesting remark. And he says, well, my hour has not yet come. And the word used here for hour has behind it, in the original, the idea of Kairos time, not Kronos time. This is very important. Because sometimes, you know, you read this story, or I used to read the story, and, and you'd be in like, he says, my hour's not yet come, and then he all of a sudden turns water into wine anyway, and it's like, what is going on? And there's a couple things there. One thing is the fact that weddings, this, these kind of weddings aren't our weddings. So, you know, our wedding is three or four hours, and everything, and boom, boom, boom. These are like seven days. So he might have said this to Mary on Tuesday and, and did something about it on Friday. We don't know. But the reality is, when he says, my hour has not yet come, he's talking about God's time. So beyond the human interaction between Mary and her son, something remarkable is taking place. Jesus is obviously very aware by now that he is the Messiah. 
and that an hour is coming when he will suffer horribly and be killed. This is why he talks of Kairos time, of God's time. But interestingly enough, he seems at this point to be functioning in Kronos time. His own time, if you will. The hour is not here yet. I don't have to play that role. I'm not there yet. And maybe he was still thinking it would be a long way off. Maybe when he turned 50 or 60, after he had a chance to really live. He knows God's time is coming, but for now he is following his time. And I appreciate that. Being human, and remember, he was perfectly human. Don't ever forget that when we're talking about Jesus. He was perfectly human. Who wants to suffer and die as a human? Right? So I appreciate that. But then something happens. Again, how soon after Mary said what she said, don't know. But something happens, and God's time comes crashing in on his time. He turns water into wine, and that reveals his divinity, and so he is now firmly placed on the road to the cross. I've got an idea about what causes this. We're going to cover that next week. But for now, whatever causes it, Jesus has moved from Kronos time to Kairos time. And all of us here know this. All of us. All of us know this crashing down of God's time into our time. We're going along in our carefully choreographed lives. We make all our plans. We do everything we can to assure those plans come true. Right? We create for ourselves in our time a wonderful little life of success, safety, financial security, meaning, and importance. We have all that. And then all of a sudden, it changes in an instant. And it is. We go to work and we where we have been for 15 years and we get called into the HR office and handed a pink slip. We discover after many years our spouse doesn't love us anymore. Our stock portfolios go from being a comfortable retirement nest to being worthless. The doctor tells us that our the cough in our chest is not seasonal bronchitis but stage four lung cancer. Our perfect baby grows up to be more interested in drugs than anything else, etc., etc., etc. We all know this. Right here in our own community, we can go pew to pew and talk about how we know this crashing down of God's time into our time. On the third day, a wedding happened at Cana. Sorry, that's coming up, Bruce Eberle. Uh, I don't have it. But anyway, on the third day, a wedding happened in Cana. Jesus' time became God's time. And I think this is a very helpful way to think of these monumental life-changing events that happened to, to us. Instead of understanding these times of profound challenge as God forsaking us, or as terrible luck, or as total disasters ruining our lives, we can, by grace, understand them as the endless possibilities of eternal time overtaking the limited possibilities of human time. Think about that. The endless possibilities of eternal time overtaking the limited possibilities of human time. And I know that's hard with perspective that is so limited by time, but think of Christ. His time, okay, maybe it didn't include a cross and God's time included a cross, but that cross saved the world. Bruce Eppley says it this way. <clears throat> Life involves the dynamic interplay of Kronos and Kairos evenly moving clock time and lively moments of creative transformation. Just as there are thin places 
places where divine energy opens the door to new possibilities, there are also thin times, moments in which God's vision awakens us to holiness amid the everyday endeavors of life. Oh, I love that quote. And see, this is true because while Kairos, God's time, often breaks upon us in moments of profound suffering, it is in this suffering that we are invited to participate in the redemption of the world. See, isn't this what Paul was trying to get at when he said these really difficult statements? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, if indeed we share his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the great Paschal mystery, and, and for many of us brought up in the evangelical Protestant tradition, we don't hear about the Paschal mystery, which is unfortunate. We don't understand the depth of what Paul is getting at when he writes these incredible things. And I encourage us, we've talked about this here before, to not reduce the reality of this great mystery. See, here's the thing, we will suffer in this life. There's no way around that. I'm sorry. And I'm always shocked at myself and my own reactions to suffering. And I'm always shocked and fascinated by others' reactions to suffering. Because it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's the world we live in. You know what I mean? Like, I'm 52 and I, I've never met anyone that has gone through life without suffering. It, it is what we do. It's, it's what is this world. It's more unusual when we find someone that hasn't suffered. You know what I mean? That, that's unusual. I, like I said, I'm 52. I, I've never met anyone that's been born, lived, and died, and never suffered. It's the world we live in. So here is the amazing mystery of God in the Paschal Mystery. When we're suffering, God offers us the comfort of understanding that no suffering needs be meaningless. All suffering is part of his loving work of salvation in the world. Think about that. That is the most hopeful, most beautiful Hard to understand the thing, I know. But it's incredible. Because so many times we think that some of our suffering, we brought it on. If we only made different choices or it's just completely unfair suffering. But God said, well, here's the thing. I took your suffering and I turned it into something redemptive. And now you can participate with me in that. If we can just have the eyes to see that, the eyes of faith and the grace to see that. So we can take any suffering we're going through, whether it's emotional or physical or spiritual or whatever is causing the suffering. And with grace and eyes of faith, we can understand it, that it's part of the suffering of the world. It's part of the suffering of Christ that saved the world. What beautiful grace that is. What infinite mystery that is. What hope that is. Here's the thing about God's time. God's time always means redemption is near. Always. God's time always means redemption is near. I love that. And don't misunderstand me here. <clears throat> God's time doesn't always just crash down on us in suffering. That's not true. God's time, we can be open and made aware of God's time in moments of profound beauty and joy and, and all sorts of wonderful things. But often, our eyes are most keenly set to see God's time when suffering crashes down. So, consider Jesus' reaction 
to God's time. Consider what he did. And we're going to talk about this and why it was such a big deal next week. It wasn't this simple, magical little thing he did to wow the guests. It was pretty big and profound. But let's just consider it for a second. Instead of running and hiding or becoming angry and bitter, which would have been understandable, he turned water of lifeless living into wine of abundant living. He reached out, and as we're going to see next week, he used this opportunity to love others in very profound and life-changing ways. It's amazing what he does when we really get into the story. And some of you have been at Canaan when we, do, when we I think it was a 10-week series on, on the wedding at Canaan, might remember how profound this, this miracle was, but we'll remind ourselves of that as we keep talking about this idea of time. And so this is what Cairo's time offers us. If we can see it, we can believe it and understand it. Kairos time offers us the opportunity to live into love. The opportunity to love others in the midst of our suffering, our pain, and to bring the gift of God's redemption to ourselves and ultimately the world around us. I know that seems contradictory and a paradox, but the older I get, the more convinced I am. When we are in the midst of our own suffering and we can find a way to reach out in love to others, it is so redemptive. Not just for us, but for others. God is calling, God is making all things new. He is making us new creations. We have just passed into a new year. Some of us here are hoping the, the wonder of last year continues. Some of us are hoping the horrors of last year discontinue and go away. Regardless of what we are hoping for this new year, I can guarantee God is making of us new creations. It's his promise. If we're willing to engage him, know him, love him, he will make us new creations. But here's the thing. This always happens in his time. He is always working out his redemption in his time. So as we move into this new year then, what my prayer is that God's grace would help us all to see the reality and purpose of God's time. Be taken out of our clocks, out of our calendars, out of the day-to-day -day and, and see this bigger world that is eternity, that is God's, and he is engaging us and welcoming us into it. <clears throat> And as we see it, might we know the courage to live fully into it, loving him and loving others more than we ever have at any other time in our lives. Because as we say here at Cana, everything else is just a footnote. Let's make 2017 a year that all of us shift and welcome God's time and use it to bring more of his redemption.